0: Hello and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast with me, Robin Kermode. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermode.com. On the Art of Communication Expert series today, I'm delighted to be joined by theatre producer extraordinaire Shirley McGrath. Previously, she was an actor, singer and dancer, what they call the triple threat. Now she's an international theatre producer, having produced shows on Broadway in London, across Asia and in her homeland, Australia. I've heard it said unofficially that she is the best dressed and most frightening woman in theatre. Is that true?
1: partly um, the best dress bit, the best dress bit, most (laughs) definitely. And the frightening bit depends on what you ask me on what day of the
0: week. Anyway, welcome to Australia. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're sitting here in your lovely Sydney offices. In terms of most frightening, obviously some of the conversations you have to have as a producer Mm. are going to be difficult Mm. with agents, with actors, with performers, whatever. Are you good at difficult conversations? Because many people find them hard.
1: Hmm. Most of the conversations I have at the moment are with venues and licensors. Prior to COVID, it was a very different conversation. The market was buoyant. Everybody was jolly. There was a lot of cash Mm -hmm. swishing around for audiences to come to shows, a lot of disposable income. Because whether you like it or not, theatre in the main is a luxury item. It's a discretionary item. It is not necessary to anybody's livelihood. So the first things to go are luxuries. So, the difficult conversations we're having now are really at the top end with licensors, venues, actors, yes, but not quite so much because we do understand that the actors and the musicians and crew and everything, they've got rents to pay. They're subject to the cost of living issues Mm. as well. Everybody is. But the harder conversations are more
0: at the top end of things. Yeah, no, I can understand. Mm. I can understand that. Now, when you're choosing a show, Do you start with the show or do you start with the star?
1: We start with the show because we're in theatre but we're not necessarily in art. We're in entertainment. Right. So we start with the show. John Frost, who still heads up the business, if John had his way, we'd do Rodgers and Hammerstein every year. But (laughs) we tend to look at shows that are an audience demographic of 8 to 80. We want something for everybody in there. First of all, we get the show. Now, in saying that... John and I'll see a show together and go, oh, my God, that role is perfect for so-and-so. Sure. As we even watch a show, we'll cast it in our head. Who do we think could do that? Or, hmm, we're going to struggle with that person. We might have to bring that person in from overseas for various Mm. roles. So we're always trying to do the two things together, but it always starts with the show.
0: And when you're casting, I mean, you've worked with some big stars yourself. So I remember Mm. you did Camelot here with Richard Harris, the great Richard Mm. Harris. He, like many stars, have an extraordinary charisma. They walk on stage and you watch them. Mm. They pull the focus. Barry Humphreys has it, all sorts of people have it. You've been close to them as a performer and close to Mm. them as a producer. What is that X factor?
1: It's the extra 10%. There's a male singer here, Anthony Waller, who will be familiar to some of your listeners, I suspect. Anthony has the extra 10% vocally in his voice Now, you can listen to a lot of people sing the same song. Mm. Years ago, we produced a musical. We did it here first, Dr Zhivago, Mm. Lucy Simon's beautiful music. Anthony sings those songs and there's something extra there. It's an extra tear in his voice. And I've heard other people sing them and they're nice, but they haven't got that X factor, that extra little bit. And that's what makes the stars. That's what makes you star cast. Part of it too is they've got to want to work a little harder. And knowing when that opportunity has come along, if it's somebody who's been given the big break, mm. how they grab that. If they're aware this is my big break, I can make something out of this and then they start to really work on becoming a star and becoming that higher grade, the mm. above title performer that can sell tickets.
0: Yeah, There's not many. No, and presumably they also then lift the rest of the cast. If they're mm. working that hard, mm. then the rest of the cast lift their standard Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. We could listen to, say, Michael Ball, might be the equivalent of Anthony, uh, over in the UK. They don't sound like anybody else. Mm. Is that part of what a star is? Richard Harris doesn't sound like anybody else. Mm. Richard Burton doesn't sound like anybody Mm. else. So is that part of it? They have a uniqueness that the audience, I know who that is.
1: I think that there is. There has to be a recognition Factor or certain things that they're synonymous with from time to time. Caroline O'Connor, who's just finished nine to five for us, mm. she's a big theatre star here. So people know her in certain roles and they'll go and see Caroline in whatever she's in. Right. Doesn't matter. Yeah. They know the standard they're going to get, they know the singing they're going to get. There's a familiarity yeah. because they've been around for a while and they've got to know them through their own celebrity and promotion and all the other things they do. They've got to know them. So yeah. they feel a bit of ownership.
0: Yes. Now, when you're selling a show, you've cast a show, you've designed a show, you set it all up. How do you sell that excitement when every month there's another show or every mm. year there's another show? There is a
1: core audience in Australia that's not easy to sell to, but they'll certainly come along the ride with you. We tend to do big national campaigns here because New South Wales is a different market to what's going on in Victoria what's going on in Queensland, South Australia, they're all very different and they're all quite unique. So you tackle each one separately. And we usually start with big flashy on sales that go out to everybody and often the big titles and we only do we don't do anything that's experimental here. We only do the big titles anyway because mm. they're high risk but they've got recognition. Yeah. So you're trying to find titles all the time that resonate with the public. Rodgers and Hammerstein, Cinderella. Well, everybody knows what Cinderella is pretty much. So you start from that base. We've also got hairspray on at the moment. So most people have seen the John Travolta movie. There's a familiarisation. You try and get as much television in there as you can so you can get it in front of people so they go, oh, yeah, I remember that mm. or I've heard of that. Mm. Now, if you're bringing a show in for the first time from overseas, which we did with Booker Mormon years ago, it had been on for so long on Broadway by that stage and in the UK and developed a bit of a following. Mm. And in the world of online now and social media, yeah, a lot of fans and a lot of people become aware of it. So they may not know what it is but they've heard about it. Right. And they think, well, it's a big blockbuster. We better buy a ticket for that. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully that may long continue. When you get on, then you can start the word of mouth and the word of mouth is very strong now.
0: Social media must play more of yeah. an impact than it did, say, 10 years ago. Even.
1: Absolutely. And that's growing. So you'll go and see a show. You'll have a great night. You're going to tell your friends. Mm. And your friends are more likely to believe you than they are any ad I put on television yes. or any review. I hate to say it, but reviewers are becoming redundant. It's one person's opinion, and people are starting to not roll with those either. They're starting to believe what their friends say yes, and their experience.
0: In the old days, it used to be, get someone on a chat show.
1: I wish it was still the old days sometimes. Uh, yeah, it's that engagement which is really hard. Now, we've got Wicked coming up again. We did mm-hmm. Wicked the first time here in 2008, ran it round for five years. First time outside Broadway, it was massive and we're hoping this next tour will be. We will discover a new yes. Galinda and a new Elphaba as we did the last time. Mm. We'll be able to engage retail stores to do promotions for that, shop windows, there'll be street promotions. We have a big pair of legs that sit in the middle of a shopping mall and people once again climb all over it. So it is that engagement to get the public to take ownership and then they'll
0: come on the ride with you. Grabbing people's attention is hard, Hmm. whether you're putting a show on, which involves them spending money, or an audience sitting there for an hour saying, this is why you should listen to me. We talk a lot in my work about structure. Can you tell me how important the structure of a show is?
1: A lot of people say, why do, not just us, why are the old musicals or the heritage musicals revived so much? And part of it is their structure is so strong. Their storylines work really well. The book, the words I suppose, Mm -hmm. work really well to Mm -hmm. tell a proper story. They don't dwell too long. And the most important thing, do not lecture an audience. Right. As soon as you start to lecture a music theatre audience, you lose them. Or, or don't bash them over the head with ideas. Don't give them too many ideas. Mm-hmm. Don't give them too many concepts to deal with because they can't. They can't do it. But they've got to have a character, and it's like any play a sympathetic character. There's got to be a villain. They've got to be rooting for someone all the way through that there's <laughs> a good outcome for somebody with not too many concepts to take on at once. Mm-hmm. Litter that with some really memorable tunes that they go out humming. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of on a winner and don't make the first act too long.
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah. Now, on your own personal journey as a performer, were you a singer first or an actor first or a dancer first? I think probably like most
1: little girls, I started as a dancer first Mm. and then sort of grew in all the wrong directions and then started singing. And the singing gradually took over and and that's what I did for a long time. Mm.
0: Did you have singing lessons or were you just born with that voice?
1: You're born with it, but... It's like everything you have to have training and coaching, I believe. And right. look, like some people don't. That's yeah. great. I have, like most singers do. And where mm. it sometimes will come into play is getting through eight shows a week. Yes. You know, it's like there's a natural footballer, but David Beckham couldn't always kick like that. Mm. He had to have somebody to coach him to get that out of him, that extra bit. So, yeah, I think everybody probably does in today's world because the demands are so strong, particularly in music theatre. Yeah.
0: Yeah. People often say to me, I want to feel more confident. I want to appear more confident. Mm. And they look at people who they see or they perceive as being confident and they say, yeah, but I'm just not like that. You seem incredibly confident. <laughs> <laughs> Did you always have that inner confidence?
1: No. I had a stutter till I was 14. So really? I didn't say anything to anybody. I was very quiet, which is why dancing helped because you didn't have to speak. Yeah. And I hid behind that, which was great. I grew out of the stutter. It was just a childhood thing for other reasons. Mm -hmm. And you haven't been able to shut me up since, Um, (laughs) which is good and bad, I suppose. The confidence has come just through, I think, performing, Mm -hmm. a lot of it. And I worked on cruise ships for a long time. So I think the thing of having to talk to people I didn't know, straight away, I was at sea for 12 years. So it came from working with all sorts of different people
0: on ships. How different was it on a cruise liner to connect with your audience? I don't mean in the conversations, but actually performing as opposed to in a theatre where, in a sense, the audience come in, they sit down, they're quiet, they watch. Is it different on a cruise ship? Mm, It's different in theatre. The theatre experience starts at the doorway before
1: they've walked across the door of the theatre. So their experience starts when they hit the threshold of the theatre. Yeah. And if that's a bad experience, if you've got grumpy security people there checking bags, now they're in a bad mood. Yeah. So they've got to have a good experience crossing that theatre line. It's very helpful if the ushers or whoever they're welcome. That will yeah. put them in a good mood. Yeah, because they they're excited, aren't they, They're anyway. excited. They've spent their money. Yeah. Now we've got to deliver it. Yeah. If they can have a comfortable experience in the foyer, get a drink, get a program, and start the excitement, mm-hmm. that's really important. By the time they've sat down, they're going to have a good time almost. Yes. You're halfway there. Yeah, yeah. So that's really important to get that. Then all we have to do is make sure we can deliver a clean show that meets expectation. Mm. And even if you get a show stop, they think it was special for them. Yeah. So And then leaving the theatre again, yes, they just want to go in a hurry. Make that an easy experience. Yeah. No one's ever going to fix the bathrooms at interval. You're never going to have enough. Make it good. With a cruise ship, as soon as they come up the gangway, well, it's actually their experience has started in the arrivals hall. If that's a mess and that's out of our control often on the ship, they're grumpy. Yeah. So they come up the gangway and they're grumpy. And you've got to turn them around in the first two to three hours, which you can generally do with a glass of champagne. That (laughs) will start on that. Uh, (laughs) So they're usually pretty good. What will upset them is a change in itinerary or bad weather because that just puts everybody in a bad mood. And that's
0: out of your control. That's
1: out of our control. Yeah. But it's not really. It's my fault. So (laughs) it's raining. Mm. Can't you fix it? Not really. Uh, I'll try. Uh, So they can be a bit titchy in that respect. But you spend a lot of time with the guests. And I worked on small luxury ships. So you're front and centre with them all the time. They know your name, you know their name. They want to feel like this is their home away from home when they come on a cruise, Uh, particularly the lines I worked with. A lot of them were there longer than I was. They've got an opinion on everything. Mm -hmm. They'll walk on. Who's the chef this cruise? So, Oh, very good. Uh, (laughs) Fine. So they engage a lot more. Mm -hmm. So they become your friend and often performing for them is like having everyone in your lounge room.
0: Yeah. And I suppose if they go away with that experience, then Mm. they feel great. The other thing is on a big theatre show, you see a star... And even if you're sitting further back in the auditorium, you still want to say, "I spent the evening with the star." Mm. Mm. Gotta to, got to reach the back of the stalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you've got this great singing voice. Did your parents sing? No, <laughs> no, not even not in at the all. shower.
1: No, not at all. And my mother still thinks she, maybe she picked up the wrong baby, but nothing in in the arts or anything in in my family at all. My mother works in healthcare, so no, it's just one of those things that just happened.
0: Do you sound like your mother? Because I'm really interested in voices always.
1: Hmm. As I'm getting a little older, yeah, and I find I have her mannerisms too Mm. that you're not even conscious of at the time. But as you get older, you start to realise you've got them. And I have a uniquely Australian strine, which you'll pick up in this, Mm. which a lot of people spend a lot of money on elocution to get rid of. Why,
0: it's a fantastic accent. Why would you want to change it? Oh, God. Anyway. (laughs) Why why would you want to change your accent? Mm. You have a wonderful chest resonance in your voice, a really nice sound to your voice. Do you like your own voice?
1: Sometimes. I think most singers and a lot of actors don't really like to look at their own work. I like my singing voice, which is absolutely nothing like my speaking voice, and most singers sing accentless.
0: So you don't sing in so, Australian or American?
1: Swahili, I've tried, it's quite good. <laughs> they do, but, and that's a funny thing because that will come back to how something's written in some respects, too, how something's lyric. If you read the lyrics of, say, Porgy and Bess, mm. it's written to be sung in a certain metre and a certain accent. Mm. But most things generally aren't. When I first started working at Sea, and I used to work for Seaborn back in the early 90s and through to the early 2000s. And it was a truly wonderful experience. I mean, I went because it was a way to sing, eat fabulous food and go to the most exotic places on the planet. I am they're paying me for this. But most of our guests were American. And Australians, Robin, you've been here a little while now, mm-hmm. so you've started to understand Australians speak very quickly.
0: They do speak quite fast, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and mumble a lot. So I found when I joined the ship, I'd say something and they'd look at me like, what the heck was that about? So it slowed down a lot and when I was doing announcements – for lifeboat drills, or yes, just putting yes. the entertainers on, in the unlikely, or, event, of an in the unlikely <laughs> event, or just doing the morning clearance announcements. I started to sound like a BBC newsreader. Did you? How funny! And then they understood what was going on, but of course they thought it was somebody else because then they'd see me around the deck and at the dinner table, and it was me again. Right. So they <laughs> right. thought there were two people there doing all this
0: <laughs> stuff until they got used to it. But generally, you have to slow down. Slowing down in most cases is helpful because audiences need time to process the information. Mm.
1: They have to catch up to what you're saying. So we used to find on the ships, all a lot of it was what we had to say, particularly lifeboat drills. You'd get the seven short, one long, for those that have been on cruises. (laughs) They're all different now, but it's attention, attention, attention. Wait. And then start with the information. If it was just a drill on board, you'd get the three, for drill, for drill, for drill so that people knew that it was not a real emergency and they had to drop their coffee and run to the nearest exit. It's a bit like we always say, good morning, good afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, people have to tune their ear in initially. That's why musicals have overtures in a lot of respects. Very few just start straight off. Phantom probably does. And there's always a couple of bars to start something. Not very many things start bang straight in. So people have to tune into to what, what they're getting and yes. they've got to settle. You've got to give them that. 30 seconds to go, oh, okay, I'm paying attention now. Yes. I'm with you now. Yeah. And verses often preempt getting to a chorus, which is the bit they're really going to pay attention to and take home. But you've got to make them listen to that point and get them going from there. Yeah,
0: accents are funny things. Well, you see, Because I don't have an accent. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of communication, you're very good with people. Were your parents also good with people? Your mother works in healthcare. Mm. So is she good with patients? Is she good with people?
1: My mother is the most compassionate person most people will ever meet. And oh. My husband said, I met your mother and thought she was lovely and then look what happened with you. He said, I thought I was getting her. She has incredible empathy with people and you know, worked with handicapped children and palliative care patients and she's got more, oh, my God, she's got the patience of a saint, she really does, and the temperament of an angel. She's nothing like me at all.
0: Well, that's not true because you are very good with people and maybe we do pick up some things from our parents Mm. in that way. We watch as well.
1: Yeah, I guess I grew up with that. She's just incredibly patient and has great empathy.
0: Brilliant. We talk a lot about interviews on this podcast and the first meetings. When you're casting something and you're meeting an actor for the first time, Mm. what behaviours work really well in an interview and what don't work so well?
1: For us, most of the time, unless we're star casting and then it's, the Michael Balls of the world, and so on. you know them.
0: Yeah, so that's not so much of an interview. It's more go lunch. of it. Yes. <laughs> yes,
1: would you like to do? it's yes. more of that. Uh, yeah, can I take you to lunch? Yes, um, but for actors generally coming into the room, prepare, 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 know the material, know the piece, so you've got some understanding when you come in. Yeah, because the audition panel have only got a short space of time, and it's a bit like with any interview, I suppose that first 30 seconds is critical. Even how you walk in the door? Absolutely. Because your audition starts when the door opens. Yeah. Here's so-and-so. Yeah. What are you looking for? I think in a lot of respects we're looking for people that are going to be a good company member in a couple of ways. They're going to fit in with the company itself. Mm -hmm. Then there's the acting part of it or the cast part of it that we're looking for, the mix of individuals that we're after for a cast, that they're going to fit into that. And the audition panels now, the directors – choreographers, they're looking at that too. It's not just what you're going to deliver on stage, it's your personality mix in the company mm. because that sets out the personality mix of the company going forward. It's a happy company, which means you get the best performances out of everybody, everyone's turning up and having a good time.
0: And it may only take one bad apple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's said with feelings. Really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it can happen in an office as well. It's not yeah. just theatre, it can happen anywhere. Have you had good and bad interviews yourself? when you were a performer? Mm. Have they all been fabulous? <laughs>
1: I've always been pretty prepared. I always went in knowing what the job was, knowing my music. Sometimes you just don't get it. You're not the right shape. You're yeah. not the right look. You're not the right height. Mm. Uh, all sorts of things while well, you don't get things. Never had any really bad experiences because I don't think in the audition room nobody wants anyone to have a bad experience. Plus you've got to remember too, and, and we always try to do this, The person may not be absolutely what you want, but then you need swings in theatre, which are performers that can cover roles. You need Mm. understudies and covers Mm -hmm. because people get sick. So you need to have a bank Mm. of extra performers that you've got in your cast that can step in and do more than keep the curtain up, can actually look believable and sing it well enough. Now, those individuals might be covering three or four roles. Mm. So, yes, they may not be the perfect role, but they're an okay rolf. Yep. It's a funny thing because in casting now you often speak to agents and you've got your top line cast done, star caster done, you're starting to work your way through the ensemble cast and then you might get to, oh, well, that person's going to cover this role and this role or understudy this role and then you'll get to the swings and people think, oh, gee, I'm just being offered a swing. I hope and wish they understand how important those roles are. They are sometimes harder to cast mm. and more important to cast than those first ensemble roles because mm. these people are the people you're really going to put pressure on to yeah. shine and they could be covering two or three major principal roles too and they're the real craftsmen yeah. and yet we think they're just swings.
0: No, they're not. But it's a great way to learn the skills, mm. isn't it? I mean, most of us started out that way and mm. you work your way up. I mean, yeah. That's kind of how it is. While I'm sitting here, I'm looking at a poster of
1: Robin Nevin who's one of our national treasures. Yes. Fabulous actress here. If you're doing a play... We often think you're trying to communicate a different story. And sometimes plays particularly are about what's happening in the world or where things are going or someone's particular vision. Robin did The German Life a couple of years ago. It was telling an interesting story and the way Christopher Hampton wrote it, rather fabulous script really, and the way he brings it round at the very end to tell the parallel of Trumpism. Right. And you sit there listening to someone talk about her experience and then manages to bring it into something relevant for today. Every person in that audience could be heard to go, oh.
0: There are parallels. There's
1: a parallel. And they all went out of the auditorium talking about it. So it was continuing the conversation. Clearly a message and a story coming out of a play like that filters on and makes people think and I think that's the job of plays. In music theatre it's slightly different because it's a bit more entertainment and don't forget we're trying to do this two and three years out. We're currently putting musicals in place for 25, 26, 27 at the moment.
0: So they have to resonate in three years time. That's right.
1: So you're trying to second guess the zeitgeist of what society is going to be thinking at that time because that's whether they're going to feel they can embrace it and engage with it, understand it, and if it's going to speak to them.
0: And since the pandemic, has that changed what people want to see?
1: (sighs) Coming out of it, I think they want to see happy shows.
0: They want to go along and have a good time and feel buoyant after
1: it. They don't necessarily want to have to think too much. There's Mm. enough going on in their own lives (laughs) at the moment. They want to sit down and say, okay, please entertain me. Take me somewhere special. Take me somewhere happy. So I can forget about whether it's COVID, mortgage rates, wars, climate change. Oh, there's a lot of gloom and doom in that. Take me somewhere else for two hours. Let me leave here feeling positive. And if we can make them leave feeling positive for a while, so the next week they feel a bit better about life generally, we've done our job.
0: Shirley, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's continue to spread the happiness. Indeed. Buy tickets. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkirmer.com.